that's simply just being granted to you. Maybe I have granted you power over me. I've agreed that you can have power over me. Or maybe it's even a, a, a physical sense where perhaps you are stronger than I am. Uh, or maybe you have some other leverage, like you financially are more powerful than me, and so you have power over me from a financial standpoint, or maybe uh, from a weapons standpoint. Maybe you have better weapons than I have, and you have power over me. But regardless, I have a natural state that is basically this. If you have some kind of power over me, I just want to throw out a reminder, Taylor, I forgot to mention about the recording. I don't know if you were, if you caught that or not. I, I, so I just want to say, if you have some kind of power over me, this natural state that I have says this. As long as you are asking me to do something that I don't mind or I agree with, then it's okay. It's, it's, it's all right. No problem. Or maybe, um, maybe it's something, well, I just don't really care about that one way or the other, so it's not really going to affect me. So I say, okay, no problem. I can go along with that. So my natural state regarding authority and power basically is this. I'm not going to submit to authority unless I agree with what they're asking me to do. <laughs> that doesn't sound real cooperative, does it? And I think, I, if I were just guessing, there's probably a whole bunch of people like me in this room this morning. But I have to ask, what, what is God's position on all of this, this authority thing? I, I mean, do we have to submit to authority even if the authority is unfair? Good question. Do we have to submit if they are corrupt? Good question. Do we have to submit, according to God, to authority when it is wrong? Do we have to submit to authority when they are asking us to sin? What if your boss is just unreasonable? What if your boss's or supervisor is rude or controlling? As a Christ follower, I might ask myself this. Can't I just be led by God's Spirit and have no need for other authority? And those are some great questions. And over the course of this series, we're, we're going to try to answer most of those questions as we work through this material. But we all have a response to authority. Every one of us, we have a response. So for just a moment, think about your job or maybe think about our city government. Think from that perspective for just a moment. Job, government. We all have a response to authority. Here's the response. We might be angry and defiant. I mean, we might be up in your face. You are not the boss of me. As Cole said, not going to happen. You're not the boss of me. For some of us, that is a natural state. That's our response. Or we might have a second response. We might be defensive and difficult regarding authority. So maybe we're the ones that are under our breath going, you are not the boss of me. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Just kind of mumbling or in our head, you're not the boss of me. Maybe we say yes to something that an authority is asked, and then we just ignore it. We say, yes, I'll do that, and then we just ignore it, and we don't do it. Or maybe we submit to the authority, but then we just make it difficult 
for the authority. By the way, maybe we're passive-aggressive, or our response is just makes things more difficult, but we're going to go along with it, but we make it difficult. Or maybe we're working behind the scenes to disrupt something that that authority wants or has asked. Maybe, maybe we just partially submit. We don't do it all, but we do some of it. Maybe we carry on this conversation that is defensive, that is uh, resistant, um, and that conversation we're carrying it on with other employees or other people behind the scenes. Or maybe we're not even making it public and we're carrying that conversation on inside of our head. We're just simply being difficult, making things difficult, even if it is just inside our mind and we haven't shared it with anybody else. That is a natural state, I would guess, for most of us. There's a third response, though. This third response is not a natural state. The third response is to be humble and willing. And when we are humble and willing, it really says something. Here's what it says. It says that I, I trust Okay, okay, I, I may not agree with the authority, but I'm going to trust that everything is going to work out according to God's bigger plan. I trust. Even if it's not my way, even if it's not what I would prefer or do, I trust. So, now that you know what we're talking about, perhaps some barriers have slowly come up. But I just want to tell you this morning, don't worry about what I'm going to say. I am not going to try to manipul manipulate you. I'm not going to try to get you to do something that you're not willing or wanting to do. I'm not going to try to force you into a corner this morning to respond. I am not going to exercise power over you this morning. No, I'm not going to do that. You get to do this morning exactly what you want to do. You know, every teaching that we present from here, if you choose to take a step forward in your life, it's because you want to. We're not going to pressure you. I can assume, I think safely this morning, that if you are in this room with us or if you are watching online, I can, I think, safely assume that you want to, at the very least, investigate Jesus and the claims of Jesus. You might possibly want to get to know him more. I think it's a pretty safe assumption. You want to at least understand him more, maybe relate to him more, for some of us to follow him more. And I would say to that, me too. So we don't have to try to exert any power over you, or we don't have to try to use fancy words, we don't have to try to interpret things uh, that are not accurate, we don't have to try to trick you. You can relax, you don't have to worry. If you really want to move forward in your relationship with God, Let's then, this morning, let's just start with God. And, and let's see what God has to say about this topic. So here we go. Let's start with God. In order to do that, let's take the word sin 
Sin. What is sin? As we think about sin, what might come to your mind are those big ones. Murder, abuse, those big ones, those big sins, right? There's others. And then we think about maybe some of those medium sins. So we have the big ones, and then we've got kind of the medium ones, not near as bad. They come to mind uh, medium. Let's see, uh, maybe abusing one's own body with uh, maybe substance, you know, uh, misusing drugs and alcohol, uh, uh, taking a substance into our body and, and abusing our bodies. Maybe cheating. We could maybe put stealing in there, these medium sins. And then we have these little sins, you know, speeding, lying, being grumpy and negative, wah, wah, wah. We have these little sins. But then we have these itty-bitty little tiny, tiny sins, like overeating, tiny, tiny sins, overspending, overresting, even overworking, overplaying, not being productive, being selfish, all these little bitty tiny sins. We don't think a whole lot about that. Looking out for me and mine over everybody else. And then there's that one little tiny sin where I'm worrying about all of your sin and ignoring mine completely. Those little tiny sins. We like to segment those sins. And really, when we do, we only worry about those big ones and some of the medium ones, right? Especially we worry about them if they're their sins, right? Their sins, not ours, theirs. I'm going to do the human thing here. If it's, I'm going to make a big fuss over their sins. But God has a better way to look at this and to understand this. And really, let's just say a better way to define this. God has one category of sin. Here's God's one category of sin. Here it is. Are you ready? Sin is being disobedient to God. That's it. One category. And all the sins, from the big ones all the way down to the itty-bitty itty sins, they all fit into that one single category. Sin is basically this substituting God's desire for what I desire. And everything that fits into that, it's a sin. And you know, the evil one has a plan to move us towards sin and away from God's desire. This is how he does it. The evil one makes sin look liberating and he makes what God has called holy look like bondage. And that has been his plan since his fall, and that is still his plan today. He wants to make God's plan look like bondage. Here we go. Let's call this a little, little jail cell right here. He wants to put you in there, make God's sin look like bondage, and make every other plan out there look like freedom. And that goes right along with our personal aversion toward authority. So deceived, rather than to submit to God and live in freedom, we choose our way and die and bondage. Listen to how the New Testament puts this. Paul, in uh, writing to the Romans, the Christians who were in Rome, 
Here's what he says in chapter 6, verse 16. Paul says, don't you realize that you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey? He says, so you can be a slave to sin, and it's going to lead to death. Now, this is the opposite of what the evil one wants you to think. And he says, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. And he would add to that, it leads to life. Now, before long, we see everything that is related to God and God's kingdom, we begin to see that as a prison. That that is God holding us back, and that is God putting us in this holy jail. It's a whole bunch of don'ts. Don't do this. Don't do this. And I have to do this. I have to do this. We see God and his kingdom as a prison keeping us from the freedom out here of living our lives how we want to live our lives. But the reality, when we buy into that deception of the evil one, the reality is that we end up running from freedom and we run straight into the bondage that the evil one has planned for us, that bondage of broken lives and broken relationships. I guess one reason that we have a little bit of a, of a problem understanding this whole thing called God's kingdom is because we have a tendency to look at God's kingdom from the perspective of this uh, United States Democratic Republic that, that we live in. And that's our viewpoint because that's all we know. That's what we've grown up with. But God does not operate under a democracy where the majority rules. He doesn't. And God does not operate. His kingdom is, is not a, a republic where we have people who are voting and, and making decisions on our behalf. No. God's kingdom is a very real, literal kingdom. It is. Ruled by a very real king. And there's a real chain of command, and there's real authority in that chain of command. And God's kingdom is not subject to my opinion or your opinion or the opinion of others. It's not subject to polls. It's not subject to votes. Here's from the perspective of our culture today. Here's our path that we walk as we look at God's kingdom. We begin to compare the ways of Jesus and his kingdom with our ways and our preferences. And if we agree with Jesus, then clearly we gladly submit. But if we run across something that Jesus says or something he's commanding that we don't agree with, then we challenge it. That's our response when we look at it from our democratic republic perspective. Now, we don't challenge everything, usually. We just challenge that one specific point, that one thing that he's saying. We challenge that. And if our way looks better to us, and then we challenge God's authority regarding that one single point. And we use phrases like this. We use phrases that say, well, I know this. Well, I believe, and then we fill in the blanks, what we believe. We say things like, well, this is not how I see it. I imagine, and we fill in the blanks. Or we say something like this. 
I just don't believe in a God who would do that. And as we live long enough just challenging the points we don't agree with according to what Jesus says, then we begin to develop contempt for that. Now, contempt is a very, very dangerous thing. It's an attitude, really. It's where we begin to kind of disregard something that we really should take into account, and we begin to treat that with disrespect. And soon after contempt, well, that's when we begin to blatantly resist God's authority. We say to God, no, my way. I'm not going to choose your way. God, no, I'm choosing my way. And we think that that is leading us to the road of freedom, but it's not. And again, it is a great big deception that the evil one wants to make. He, he wants to make this evil look like liberty and to make God's plan look like bondage. So, deceived. Rather than submit to God and live in freedom, we choose our way and we die in bondage. I'm going to need some rations in there. <laughs> Let me give myself something to eat and drink. Because that's where we end up, in bondage. You see, the Creator gets to decide what is best for His creation. The Creator is king literally kept in the series we did back in March called Renew. We called it Regarding New, and we talked about this, what I just said, in week number one of Regarding New. I hope you will go back and listen to that again. It is a big, big topic. The Creator gets to decide. You know, in God's creation, in His kingdom, God is king, and he is our direct authority. No matter if we submit to him or not, he is still king, he's still the direct authority. And this king gives us the choice of whether we will submit to him as king or not. And he wants more than my behavior. He's not satisfied with me just submitting and giving in on the outside under my breath then saying, okay, I'll do it, but you're not the boss of me. Our king wants a submitted heart as well. I'm going to give you a snapshot. I'm just going to tell you the story. In the Old Testament, very true story, King David knew God's old covenant. He knew the standards. He knew them very well. And he knew that he was to be married to one woman, and he was to be faithful to her and to her alone. But in the moment, David was tricked, like many of us are today, and he saw God's plan as bondage, and he saw his own plan as freedom. And David had an affair with that married woman. She got pregnant. David started trying to cover it up. David eventually had her, very soon after, had her husband killed. And David took her now as an additional wife. It looked like freedom. But it was bondage. 
And when David was confronted by his accountability partner, David finally did confess to everything he had done, and he changed his behavior, but he changed so much more than just his behavior. Listen to what David wrote, and he wrote this to God about those very sins he committed with that woman. Here's what he said in Psalm 51. He said to God, you do not desire sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. In other words, he said, God, you're not looking for me to just go through the motions. He goes on, verse 17. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. God is not. He's saying, God, you, you don't just want my outward obedience. You want more. You want a broken and repentant heart. Not just an understanding of what God's plan is. God desires us to have a love and a passion to obey his plan. When we do not submit to God's plan, always we have been deceived. We have been deceived to think that freedom and, and, and uh, liberty are out here and that his plan, God's plan, leads to bondage. And that is deception. Oh, my friends, deception is so scary thinking that we might live an entire life thinking that I'm right when actually I'm wrong. That is scary to think about. And throughout the New Testament, the, the apostles, they said, don't be deceived. And Jesus, in Matthew 24, he's describing how in the future many people will be fooled and, and deceived. And Jesus looks at his followers who are there in the eyes and he says this, Watch out that no one deceives you. He's saying, be ready. Watch out, the evil one is going to try to deceive you. People who are already deceived by the evil one, he's saying, guess what they're going to do? They're going to try to get you to go along with them. But don't be deceived, is what Jesus is saying. Don't be deceived into thinking that you are right when according to God, you're actually wrong. And the brother of Jesus who was deceived while Jesus was walking this earth. But when he saw the resurrection and began to believe, you know what his brother then, after he became the head of the church in Jerusalem, his brother said, don't, listen, don't, don't, you don't just have to worry about being deceived by other people or deceived by the evil one. The brother of Jesus, James, he said, don't deceive yourselves. Don't end up deceiving yourself. Here's what he said in, in James chapter 1, verse 22. Be doers, in other words, submitters, obeyers of the word. And do not be hearers only, deceiving 
yourselves. You see, James is describing the person who hears the word. Okay, so let me pause there for a moment. Well, what word is James talking about that they're hearing? Are they standing up and reading scripture? Don't be... What word is he talking about? Well, here's what he's talking about. He's talking about the gospel as taught by Jesus Christ. And then those who practiced that in that first century, and then they began to proclaim that as his followers. And that's what makes up the new covenant, the New Testament. So, so to just hear the word, maybe they hear that gospel that we're talking about, they hear that and they think about it, and maybe even they mentally agree with it. And it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, I can agree with that, but they stop there. And they think that they're on target because they have heard it. But the reality is, if that is where they stop, they are actually way, way, way off target. James is saying, if we are just talking about being a Christian, if we're just talking about hearing the word and thinking about it and agreeing with it, and we think that we're on target, James is saying, don't deceive yourself. James is saying, you are only on target if you actually submit to God as king and the authority and we choose to follow this King Jesus. Here's something to remember. The truth is heard. And in hearing it, it is planted in the soil of your life. But it can only grow. That seed of the truth can only grow in the soil of submission. Paul speaks now of a time... Before the second coming of Jesus, we've had the first and that second. Paul speaks about this time, and he says there's going to be such deception, and people believing uh, this deception instead of believing the truth. And, and, and he says, as, as we read what he says here in a moment, I want you to note that it's not just a knowledge he's talking about, but it's a heart thing, a truth Something to accept and then to hold on tightly to. Here's how he words it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. He said, these people that he's speaking of before the second coming of Jesus, they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. He says, they heard it, wasn't enough. They didn't love the truth. Love, submit to the truth, and thus obey the truth. And James would agree with what Paul is saying here. They just simply heard it. I grew up in church, and growing up in church, I was very aware that many people love to hear good teaching. I'm still trying to give you good teaching. <laughs> Cole and I are still in the process of both learning and practicing and training to present the truth clearly. 
And we know this, for all of us, we can love good teaching. And at the end of Sunday, even though we love good teaching, we can still love and choose our own way instead of God's way. But if we will learn to submit to the authority of the king, that won't describe us. You know what will describe us? We will delight, delight in, put, in putting our personal preferences and desires aside for what the king wishes. If we are, are submitting to that authority, we will take up our cross daily, as Jesus talked about, and we will deny what we see as our personal rights and our personal privileges, and instead we will then follow him. Why? Why, why would we do that? Here's why. Because he is God. He is creator. He is king. He is redeemer. And, and I and you, we are humbled to have been loved by and chosen by him. I want to end this morning as we say, okay, what are we going to do with all of this? I want to end with this verse. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I want to pause here for a moment and I want to say, don't be deceived. God's kingdom is real. With Jesus, who really sits on the throne, and his kingdom will last, and his kingdom will stand, and it alone will lead us out of bondage into real freedom. And the writer of Hebrews says, let us hold on to grace. In other words, don't just hear it. Don't just hear that we have all sinned and we have all chosen our way over God's way. Don't just hear that God doesn't desire to see us separated from Him for eternity because of our sin. Don't just hear that God's love drove Him to send Himself to this creation and to himself, God, put on the flesh and blood of his creation. Don't just hear that Jesus, who is fully God completely, never setting God, his godness aside. Jesus, who is God, is also, he, he is man. He became man. And it is that Jesus who took the sins of the entire world upon himself. Something had to die for the sins of the world. And the only thing that could pay the price for the sins of the world was the death of God himself. But God can't die. 
So he put on the flesh and blood of man and he suffered every sin that I have ever committed and ever will commit and every sin that you have committed or will commit and the sins of the entire world. He bore them and paid for them upon himself. And we think about it and, we, we, and, and it just passes through our mind. We don't understand the agony of what Jesus did for us. And Jesus, God, died for the sins of the world, but he did not stay dead. Don't just listen to and hear the reality that he didn't just stay dead, that, that he showed his power over sin and his power over evil and his power over death by walking out of the tomb three days later to live again. And he is alive today on his throne. Don't just hear it. Submit to it. Submit to it and do what the writer of Hebrews said. Hold on to that and that alone. Because there is a special power in God's grace. Here's the first power. It is the power to give you and me, sinners, an entrance into God's kingdom. And here's the second power of grace. The writer gives it. He says, by it, by this grace, we may serve God acceptably. The very grace that God gives us to follow Jesus is the same grace required to serve the King, Jesus. And the writer says, to serve Him with reverence and awe. Grace to serve God acceptably. Not by challenging Him. Not with contempt. But to submit to Him with reverence and awe. And then the writer ends with this. There's not a period there. There's a semicolon. He keeps going. Verse 29, he's reminding us, for our God is a consuming fire. And here's where we end this morning. The greatest life question we face. To what authority will we submit? Will we believe the deception of the evil one that that our way is really the way of liberty and freedom and that God's way is what leads to bondage? So deceived, rather than submit to God, we, we, uh, rather than submit to God and live in His freedom, instead we choose our way and we die in bondage. Is that going to be the choice or will we hold on to His grace and choose to submit to His authority? I'm going to ask you this morning, if right now, for the first time, you were beginning to understand the gospel is not something you hear and agree with, it's something you respond to. And if this morning you were responding to
whether you are in Stuttgart or another place in Arkansas or wherever you are, if you are in Malvern where we are praying for you guys, will you mark your connection card and say, I am making Jesus the boss of my life. I'm choosing to submit to him. Now here's the next step. In our last series, we reintroduced to you the hashtag SHC6060, the 6060 experiment. That was the first 30 days. We've got another 30 days to make 60 days. And so what we're asking you to do over this next 30 days, will you make sure or set, if you choose to be a part, set a reminder or an alarm in your phone or some device that will silently go off once an hour for every hour of your awake day, whatever that is for you. Well, you set that to go off, and when that reminder goes off, it is just a reminder. We're not being legalistic about this. We're just trying to give us a little reality joke. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, there's more to life than what I'm doing right now. And when that alarm goes off this week, here's what we're asking you to do. Every week we've asked you to do something different, but this week here's what we're asking you to do. When it goes off, will you simply pause and in your heart ask this same question once an hour, Every day, will you ask, King Jesus, am I submitting to your desires right now? Or am I saying, you're not the boss of me, and running to my own way? Will you do that with us this week, once an hour? Will you alongside of many of your friends and family here, say, I'm submitting to you, Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, you you paid the price. You, are, you alone, Jesus, did what I could never do. You paid the price for my sins. And because you did, Jesus, you, you loved us so much and you suffered your very own wrath it is because of that that I can now come to you and submit to you, not just hear about you, not just agree that I need you, but I can now, because of your grace, submit to you and follow you, my King Jesus. Forgive me. Forgive me for shoving you aside and choosing my own way. Forgive me for believing the great deception that your ways lead to bondage and all other ways for freedom. Jesus, I Submit my life and my way to you right now. Amen.